This podcast is brought to you by On Track Studio. You're listening to Things They Don't Tell Her. Everything you don't get taught about periods, pregnancy, and postpartum. I'm going to take you on a journey back to sex ed and teach you what really matters. Ladies, it's time you felt empowered in your bodies. I'm your host, Caitlin Pender, founder of Her Women's Health, and I'm sharing tips to optimize your fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum journey. Today, I'm going to be talking all about different breath techniques for labor, how and why they work, and what stages of labor they might be helpful in. So the breath is what I believe is one of the most underused, underprescribed tools. If we think about what funds different research programs, it is often something that is funded by pharmaceutical companies or um, by community-based programs or by institutions like hospitals or universities. Um, and often there needs to be money to fund research. So a lot of, uh, a lot of different techniques that are used are funded by research and cost money because uh, a pharmaceutical company will benefit from proving that an intervention like say an epidural is effective in pain management during labor. But the breath is not well understood and it is one of the most underrated tools that you can have in your natural pain relief basket. So we know from some studies that there is such a direct link between the nervous system and the breath. The breath is one of the quickest ways to regulate our nervous system. And there is some psychology experiments starting to analyze the breath with um, response to different ECGs and um, what's called heart rate variability. So our ability to switch from our parasympathetic back into our sympathetic nervous system and this ability to switch from um, the vagus nerve. Um, so in a fight, fight or flight response, uh, freeze response or, or back to that sort of middle um, regulation. So the first breath that we're going to talk about is our diaphragmatic breath, which is basically um, a belly breath. So this is the breath that we should be using for most of the day if we're in a relaxed state. So if you've ever watched um, a dog, an animal, um, a cat or a baby, uh, if you've watched them breathe, their diaphragm, so their whole rib cage and their diaphragm just moves gently in and out. And if you watch a baby carefully when they're sleeping, you will just observe the belly gently rise and fall. And it is very obvious, this movement of the belly. But what often happens over time, especially for women, is that we start to hold tension around our belly. And this can be out of um, fear of pain. If you've had, a, say, a back injury or an injury, it could be out of uh, self-consciousness or just a desire to look thinner, um, to look slim and to have this flat toned stomach. So we often start to hold tension in to create this constriction around the lower abdominals. 
Uh, and this very significantly impacts our breathing pattern. The other thing that triggers an upper chest breathing response, so which switches us out of this belly breathing, this diaphragmatic breath, is stress. So there is, as I said, a very quick link between our breath and our nervous system. So when we start to breathe into our upper chest, it signals the vagus nerve to switch us into a fight or flight response. So this is really beneficial if we are, say, running away from a saber-toothed tiger, but not so beneficial if we are just trying to relax. And if we are feeling that response of the upper chest breathing, it's also going to signal to the brain uh, to keep us in that sympathetic response. So this often happens over time. And sometimes women are even unaware of the changes in the breath in response to their emotions and their nervous system. And it's because the breath is controlled by this primitive part of our brain. So it's very influenced by our emotional state. Um, if we as I said, if we're scared, if we're fearful, if we're stressed, then it's going to send a signal to the brain to keep us in that upper chest breathing response because this is going to help with our survival. So our primal brain bases everything on our survival. So if we are threatened, as I said, by a saber-toothed tiger and we need to run away, what happens in our body is there is an increase in our heart rate there is a redistribution of our blood supply away from our reproductive organs because our main priority is survival and we are going to prioritize survival over reproduction. So all of the blood moves away from our reproductive organs, moves towards our heart and our musculoskeletal system uh, to prepare ourselves to run. Uh, and to save energy and oxygen, we're going to start to increase our respiratory rate so that we can get more oxygen to our muscles in preparation for, for that fight or flight response. However, if we are just sitting and responding to work emails and we're in a perceived stressful environment, the body is going to have the same response because it's this primal instinct and our brain and our uh, primal brain doesn't know the difference between whether we're running away from a saber-toothed tiger or whether we're just sitting responding to, to stressful work e emails. Or if there's a perceived stress, let's say we've um, turned up at the hospital, so we have moved sort of from that early labor where we're getting intermittent contractions the contractions are starting to get longer stronger and uh, closer together and then a woman shows up at the hospital and there's a new environment and there's some perceived threat or danger and her physical body is sensing this and she might not be aware of this um, response of her physical body so in pregnancy, it can be really beneficial if we tune into what's happening in our body in response to, to different environments. So when we start to become conscious and aware of what's going on in our body with our breath, we can start to regulate our nervous system more readily. So by simply noticing when you do start to have this upper chest breathing response and bringing the breath down into your belly, and starting to breathe into the belly. So if we can keep our upper chest still and allow our belly to rise and fall, this will allow the diaphragm to move up and down. 
Now, through the diaphragm, the vagus nerve runs. So this effect of starting to bring the breath back down into the belly will have a really quick response on our nervous system and it will send a signal to the nervous system to say to keep us in this rest and digest state, this parasympathetic nervous system response. So what this is going to do is it's going to increase blood supply to our, it's going to do the opposite of what we just talked about, increase blood supply to our reproductive organs, to our digestive system. It's going to relax the body and it's going to send a signal to the brain to say that we're safe and we're calm and that the body can relax. So simply by changing and catching the way that we're breathing and bringing it rather from that upper chest response down into the belly, we can very quickly have this direct effect on our nervous system. And what this is going to do is it's going to have a cascade effect on our hormones. So the hormones that are really important for initiation of labor are oxytocin. And in those early phases of labor, especially in that um, pre-labor, when the contractions have first started, what can happen is if there is a disruption to um, the mum's response, so the mum's nervous system, if she has sensed danger or threat or if there's a perception of uh, these things, of danger, or if she starts to feel fear in her physical body, if she starts breathing rapidly into her upper chest, the primal brain, which is also in control of this synthesis of oxytocin, is going to respond and say it is not safe for her to birth her baby right now. And you see this in mammals. So if their environment is not conducive to them having a, to reproducing and to having that baby right then and there, it will delay that response of oxytocin. So the hormones will drop off and her contractions might cease. So if we want uh, the hormones of labor to keep increasing and we want the body to respond by continuing labor and contractions, then we need to be conscious and aware of what's happening in our physical body. And being aware of what's happening in our breath is one way to um, regulate and to have feedback of what is happening in our nervous system and this is directly feeding into that oxytocin response so as i said that first um breath that we're focusing on which is really important in early labor to make sure that those contractions continue is just that diaphragmatic that gentle belly breathing because that's signaling the nervous system to say that we're calm and that we're safe and just being conscious of when that breath does start to move into the upper chest or if it does become more rapid, uh, consciously slowing down that breath can be helpful as well. Now, once la uh, labor is established and the oxytocin hormone is circulating through the body, contractions are getting lo longer and stronger and um, closer together, that is when uh, as a natural pain relief strategy, we can start to use what I call a, it's a two to one ratio breath. So we're exhaling for twice as long as we're inhaling. Now, this technique is used a lot in yoga. It's also what is used in free diving. So free divers use this technique in order to lower their heart rate 
to reduce oxygen requirement and to lower their stress levels, their acute response, so that they can dive under the water for longer. So we know there is scientific studies to show that this has a really quick response on uh, heart rate and blood pressure. It also has a response on our nervous system. So it is one of the quickest ways to drop into that parasympathetic, that calming response. It is by lengthening the exhale breath. Um, so if we are inhaling for a count of three, then we're exhaling for a count of six. Or if we're inhaling for a count of four, then we're aiming to exhale for a count of eight. Now, what this does, lengthening the exhale breath, again, it stimulates the vagus nerve, which has a direct response on our heart rate and our blood pressure and a direct response on our nervous system. So we increase that parasympathetic, that um, safety, rest and digest and, and reproduce. And we're going to increase the um, production of oxytocin. So using this can help to encourage that hormonal response in labor. It can also be a really good tool to uh, use for natural pain relief. So as a comfort measure, uh, if the woman can focus on that long exhale breath, it is allowing her to drop back into her primal brain. As I said, the breath is it's one of our, it's controlled by our primal brain. So it's, it's highly reactive to emotional state. Um, and it allows her to divert all of her attention to the breath. So moving away from this analytical thinking brain, which is where we're going to start to uh, reflect on, on pain and fear um, and understanding the physiology of pain can help to understand why this breath is also so effective. So as I said, it moves us out of the prefrontal cortex um, and into the, the primal brain. So we know that pain is based on our perception of threat. So if you perceive danger or threat, the body will respond by assuming or the brain will transcribe that as pain. So uh, a really good example of this, which I give often, is the uh, example by Lorimer Mosley, where he was walking through the bush, something brushed up against his leg, message gets sent to the brain, what's happened like this before, is it dangerous, is it threatening? Message gets sent back down, um, no, it's probably just a twig. So it looks through past memory, what's happened like this before, is it dangerous? And the past memory says, no, no threat. So he just um, experiences no pain, but he looks down at his leg and he's been bitten by a snake. So he got rushed to the hospital, given an antivenom, and he survived. But a year later, he was walking through the bush, something brushed up against his leg. What's happened like this before? Is it dangerous? Is it threatening? So his initial response was excruciating pain. He grabbed on hold of his leg. He dropped to the ground. He was in agony. And it's because his memory looked through and identified danger threat. He looked down it had just, he'd just brushed up against a twig. So you can see how um, when a woman has some sort of uh, fear around birth or a history of, of trauma, then this is going to contribute to her perception of pain during labor. So if we can divert our attention to the breath, we allow ourselves to reassure the nervous system that this is safe, okay, because we're dropping back into that parasympathetic response. Another really good example 
there's a few pain experiments where a woman has her arm um, and you can look this up on YouTube. It's really interesting to see. So their arm is in a box and then there's a mirror on the other box and then it looks like their arm and they've got a plastic arm there and they stab a knife into the plastic arm but it looks like to the woman her arm is being stabbed her arm is not being touched but she is screaming in agony because her brain has seen her arm because of this optical illusion being stabbed so you can see there that the brain has perceived threat, danger, trauma and responded with pain, even though her arm hasn't been touched. So, again, really reinforcing the need to unpack uh, fears, beliefs, danger, threat, any perceived trauma, um, any perceived fear around childbirth before labour. And then this... Um, need to reinforce to our nervous system that we're safe. So really um, bypassing this analytical brain and going straight to our primal brain through the breath uh, is a really beautiful way to signal to the nervous system, I am safe, this is not dangerous, this is not threatening and therefore reducing pain. So the third breath that we're going to talk about is a... Um, what I call a breath or a subtle ujjayi breath. So um, there is basically what I call four diaphragms in the body. So we've talked a lot about in past episodes about the impact of the pelvic floor and the respiratory diaphragm. So underneath the rib cage sits our respiratory diaphragm and it's this dome-shaped muscle that looks like a mushroom cap. And it is very closely fascially connected with our pelvic floor. So when we breathe in, our respiratory diaphragm descends and it stretches our pelvic floor. And then it, when we exhale, it recoils and our pelvic floor recoils. And this keeps it in a really healthy state. So it moves up and down and keeps our pelvic floor in a healthy state and it keeps everything regulated. Now, there is also a diaphragm in our vocals. So often um, hypnobirthing, they'll talk about the impact between our um, vocals and our pelvic floor, but it is because of this four diaphragm response. So we have uh, a diaphragm very similar to our pelvic floor in our vocals, our glottis. I want you to do this. So I want you to place your index finger and thumb on your voice box, so on that glottis. And if you let out a really high pitch, you'll feel everything lifts above your fingers. Now, if you let out a low tone, ooh, you'll feel everything lower. And this is because the same thing is happening at all of the other diaphragms. So when we are in a high-pitched tone, and there is lots of studies to back this up with women's health physios doing internal assessments and getting clients to change tone, with a high-pitched tone, we have an increase in tone in the pelvic floor. With a low tone, there is a low um, descent and relaxation of the pelvic floor. So what is happening here uh, uh, with it lifting and lowering is also happening at our other diaphragms. So it's happening at the pelvic floor. Pelvic floor is relaxing with lower tones and it is also happening in our respiratory diaphragm. So I kind of um, visualize this like a coffee plunger. 
So if you can imagine a coffee plunger, when we let out a high pitched tone, the coffee plunger, it's like it's lifting up, but low tones will push that coffee plunger here down. It will also push the respiratory diaphragm down. So the second, the main coffee plunger, and then the pelvic floor will relax. And this can be really helpful to understand this physiology when it comes to uh, the pushing phase of labor, but also when it comes to emptying your bowels. So if you do struggle with chronic constipation, this can be a really helpful tip. Um, there's actually a physio in the UK that tells her clients to move before they poo. And it is because we know this long, low tone exhale has an effect on our diaphragm, this coffee plunger-like effect, which helps with a downward force, a downward pressure. And I think about it pushing like a coffee plunger down to help us evacuate our bowels, to help us um, evacuate the stool, and then relaxing the pelvic floor, which again is really important to empty our bowels. So you can see that in labor, this technique of long, low tone exhale and women who are instinctively birthing will often use really long, drawn out, low tone, um, primal sounds like moaning and oh, um, because this long, low tone exhale is creating this subtle constriction, this pushing down of the diaphragm and this relaxation through the pelvic floor. But by allowing the breath to travel out, we are not reducing oxygen flow and we are preventing too much pressure, too much strain down on the pelvic floor. So if we dive a little bit more into this breath, okay, I'll go through it with you. What I want you to do is take an inhale through your nose and then imagine that you're fogging up a mirror. So you're going to create this subtle constriction at the back of the throat, but you're still going to let air travel out through the mouth. So you'll feel this. And if you take your legs, um, if you sit up nice and tall so that you can really feel either the chair beneath you or if you sit on a fit ball, if you're pregnant, um, you'll get a really beautiful response of the perineum. You'll feel the sensation um, of that descent. So if you inhale through the nose, create that subtle constriction at the back of the throat and then create that like you're fogging up a mirror and place a hand down on the perineum if you're not sitting on a fit ball, just so you can feel that, that gentle pressure, that descent um, of the perineum. You'll feel a, a subtle pressure on your hand and you should also feel this downward pushing down of the glottis, um, but you will feel air traveling out through the mouth and you'll imagine that coffee plunger-like effect of the, of the respiratory diaphragm down, um, creating this downward pressure, this downward force, um, which is going to help move baby down and out during that pushing phase of labor. So this is really important because this breath, rather than a um, coached pushing or holding the breath and pushing allows oxygenation. So we're still getting oxygen. We're slowing down that breath, which we've already spoke about, has this really good impact on our nervous system to keep our body calm. Um, but the uh, allowing oxygen to travel out and in uh, means that we're not holding our breath. So we're not getting this constriction. We're not getting um, too much increase in intrathoracic pressure, which would have a negative impact on baby. Um, and we're not restricting oxygen or, or blood supply to the fetus. So 
Um, often what happens with coach pushing where we're inhaling, we're holding the breath is we're getting this massive squeeze of intra-abdominal pressure. So it's like squeezing around a water balloon. And I like to give this analogy, I give this analogy a lot, is um, female tennis players. They used to have a lot of issues with urinary incontinence. And it was because they would take a really deep breath, they'd tense their tummy and their back muscles, they would hold their breath, so they'd take a deep breath and then their, their diaphragm would push down. So imagine a water balloon, like squeezing the top of that water balloon, the pressure would go to the weakest point. And for these players, it happened to be their pelvic floor. So their pelvic floor couldn't withstand all of this pressure, this squeezing of the water balloon. So what they did is they taught them to make those grunting sounds that you hear the female tennis players making. And what this did is it allowed the pressure to be drained. It also allowed for a more effective distribution of force. So it is like opening a valve. It allowed the pressure to come out. It allowed them to be continent. So it took some of that pressure off their pelvic floor and it allowed them to distribute force more effectively. So if you think about the application of this in labor, if you're doing a coach pushing breath, especially if you have had an epidural, um, a lot of the research now suggests that it is best not to be coach pushing. Uh, that is actually better to allow the muscles to do the work because then the muscles will naturally allow um, for baby to move down and out. But if we want to get uh, a little bit of extra support, this and this is what women will almost always do instinctively, um, is that low tone, long primal exhale. Um, and if we think about what's happening physiologically, it is allowing the pelvic floor to relax. It's allowing the respiratory diaphragm to, to create that downward force to help with that pushing. It's allowing the glottis to push down. Um, and the fourth diaphragm, which we haven't got to, is this diaphragm um, that connects the right and left hemispheres of the brain. And this diaphragm is in control, again, with that vagus nerve of our sympathetic versus parasympathetic response. So long, low-tone exhales stimulates that parasympathetic response, that relaxation, keeping baby calm, keeping mum calm, um, whereas those higher tones... Ah, um, or, you know, screaming in that high, high pitch tone. Um, that's the signal to our brain to sit, to um, keep us in a sympathetic response. So that is like running away from that saber tooth tiger screaming um, in that really high pitch. It's going to increase tone in the pelvic floor, increase tone in the diaphragm. So move all of that blood supply away from reproduction, digestive organs to the heart, to the skeletal muscles um, and, and get increased heart rate so that we can run away. So we, we don't want that kind of um, high chest breath. We want those low tone exhales to calm the body um, and without restricting, because remember that water balloon, if we're squeezing around the water balloon uh, if, if, and, and also um, the, you know, the fundus, the muscles around the uterus are contracting at the same time. This is creating such increases in intra-abdominal pressure um, that that can have a negative impact on, on baby. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this conversation. I hope that you can take these three breath techniques through pregnancy, um, that you can understand now why it is that you might be using instinctively in, in childbirth and labor, um, why you might lean towards these breath techniques. 
but it can be helpful as well because as I said we are so um, disconnected from our physical bodies and from our pelvic floor and our breath it can be really helpful in pregnancy to learn these tools and techniques so that you feel confident identifying what's happening in your physical body in labor and and responses of the breath and the body um, to changes in environment like you know when you transfer to the hospital so um, if you do want to learn more of these techniques, then you can, um, I've got the waitlist has just opened for my Support Your Mind Core and Pelvic Floor course, uh, which will be launching at the end of June. This is an eight-week program for pregnant women to learn tools to support their physical, uh, mental and emotional health in pregnancy, in preparation for birth, and uh, to take into the postpartum period to um, again, regulate their nervous system, help with stress management, but also to regulate the health of their pelvic floor and um, their physical body. So if you do have any questions, let me know. Uh, otherwise, I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode, this live, and um, I will post in the show notes and I'll post on here a link to the waitlist for my online course. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and share this with other pregnant women or other women that you think deserve to understand this information. It is my mission to share this knowledge with women because this is something that I believe that we should all be taught. 